hang out with you guys tonight. I'm usually filing out in the breakout, so I'm excited. You all might not be excited, but I'm, ex- <laughs> I'm excited. Um, if you will turn with me to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. I am going to read from the New Living Translation. And it says this, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Look at your neighbor. If you don't have a neighbor, just look around and say this. He will come back. So for just a few minutes, I promise I won't be too long. Um, I would like to talk to you on this title, The Comeback. The Comeback. Amen. So there is something inside of us, every one of us as humans. It's there. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. And just everybody I've ever been around, myself included, that loves a good comeback story. I mean, I mean am, I, am I the only one? We love a good comeback story. An against all odds victory that defies reason. There's something about an overconfident opponent who is just beating up on a young, unprepared, unsuspecting victim. And then all of a sudden the tides turn that just gets our attention. You know, we just, we're all about that. And can you throw that first slide up there for me? When I think about that story, I think about my guy Rocky. <laughs> Some of you may have read the book um, <laughs> or the audio book, whatever. If not, I'm going to catch you up really quick on what happens. Rocky Balboa is a struggling boxer trying to make the big time. He's working as a debt collector in Philadelphia, and he's trying to be a boxer. And then the heavyweight champion of the world, Creed, as he's known in the literary work, is coming to town and has decided that he wants to box against a local nobody and give this nobody a chance to fight against, you know, this prize fighter, this awesome boxer, and Creed is supposed to win easily. He's, he's won many different bouts. He's seasoned. He's much larger in the pictures I've seen, and you can tell right off the bat that Rocky is up against it, and the odds of him winning are very small. However, as the story unfolds, somebody forgets to tell Rocky that he's not supposed to win the fight. He's not supposed to. So this big fight happens, and Rocky is undersized, but he's, he's trained, he's ready to go. The fight starts, and he is just getting beat to, beat to a pulp by Creed. He's just getting beat up, and he's in the ring, and he's hanging in there, and he's trying to win, and just something inside of him clicks, and he decides, you know what? I'm going to make a comeback in this fight, and I'm going to win, and against all odds, the odds are stacked against him. His trainer's trying to get him to quit. He refuses to quit. He comes back. And just to the shock of everybody involved, he wins the fight and goes on to be somewhat of a legend in the story, right? Throw that next slide up there. This is a story. This is a fictional story. So impactful is the story of Rocky that when people travel to Philadelphia, where the movie book was set, the story was set, they actually travel up the stairs, and they try to emulate the Rocky stance. Like, <laughs> I am also going to take on the world. And you can see, these are the steps right here. And these are people, just normal people, inspired by this underdog story, this underdog account. And they are going to go out, travel specifically to this site, just so they can experience, 
you know, the workout high that, uh, that Rocky did in his movie. So look at this, guys. They have actually made, does anybody know how many Rocky movies they've made? They have made eight Rocky movies. That's how inspirational this underdog story is. They're all the same, just with different characters. It's, it's the same plot. It's an underdog who's not supposed to win, who just keeps hanging around long enough, and then he finally turns the corner and he overcomes adversity and wins. Eight times. People keep, keep, keep reading it, keep watching it. They, they love it. So even though we know the ending, even though we can anticipate the story, there's something inside of humanity that values a good comeback story. We do, man. We value it. Um, if there's two sports teams playing and I don't actually care who wins, I just automatically root for the underdog. I don't, I don't know why. Just, it's just something ingrained in, in a lot of us. And so in a lot of ways, we as Christians are in the middle of our own comeback story, if you think about it. And really, we're in a daily battle with a fallen world, with a lot of sin surrounding us. And sin can get a hold of us and can really beat us up over a period of time. And it might look something like a world-class boxer fighting against a nobody from Liberty as opposed to Philadelphia. And it, it might just be painful for some people on the outside to even watch because of how undermatched we can be in our attempt to be righteous. Maybe it's just me. But that sometimes it's just when you're trying and you're trying and you're trying. And, it, and it just, it's just an overmatched humanity against the sin that has entered the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 tells us, how sin entered the world. It says, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Look at that same neighbor and say, we've all sinned. <laughs> and as adults, or youth, if you hung out, didn't want to go downstairs. But as adults, we can face sin in a variety of different ways. You don't have to look very far. It's, it's part of society. Everywhere we go, it doesn't take long. We can leave a church building. We can leave the fellowship of our godly friends. And we can quickly be reminded that we are up against a very, very powerful adversary in our attempt to live in a good way for God. We have good days where we find ourselves just kind of flying high. But a lot of times it just feels like we're just, we're doing our best. But it's just a continual falling short in our attempt to be perfect and to live the life that God has called us to live. Amen? It can happen. And all the ups and downs and all the challenges of this lifestyle can allow for thoughts and words from the enemy and discouraging thoughts to come into our mind. And Lauren Daigle actually captures the essence of this struggle in her song, You Say, very well. I'm going to read you the first verse of this song. Don't start singing it. I know it's like every other song on Caleb, but I just want you to hear the words. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. As a Christian, we can really relate to this song. And we're Christians. We, we have the gift of the Holy Ghost here tonight. We, we have the power of God. And that doesn't mean that we're free from the struggles of living in a world that is very dark and very lost, and it, it can be overwhelming. And at some point in our walk with God, we recognize that no matter how we were raised, no matter how much we can put on the Pentecostal persona, there are days that we just are against an opponent, we can't win, and we just need a hero to save the day. 
I mean, that's just it. There's days we can't will ourselves to be good enough. We, we, just, we just can't do it. And it's in times like that that God reminds us that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. How many is thankful for the strength that Jesus has that when we're in that spot, we have a hero. And the Bible does remind us that we're not going to win any solo battles with sin anytime soon. Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 10, lets us know just where we rank in our ability to be righteous without the gift of the Holy Ghost. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then jumping down to verse 23 of Romans chapter 3, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. We're all in the same struggle. We're all here by the grace of God alone. And we are reminded of it daily when we try to, to live this lifestyle. But it's interesting because in society, as humans, we're taught to value that lone wolf hero who fights overwhelming odds like Rocky and somehow comes out on top. It's just, I took a literature class one time. It was terrible. I had to take it. If you guys are literature majors, you're awesome. Um, and they talked about the different literary structures and how stories are written. And of the, of the fictional books and movies that we read and watch, almost 70, like 3% of them that are popular, they follow the same literary path, right? There's the hero who is called to some great adventure, right? Recognizes this, this experience that they're they going to be great. All of a sudden comes up against an adversary, recognizes that they're not great. Looks like things are going to fall apart. But wait, there's a comeback. And then right at the end, they pull it together, get the girl, win the game, save the battle, whatever it is, right? Or the guy, whichever way, however we want to look at it. <laughs> it's in every one of the stories that we value. It really is. We, we follow these same patterns as humanity. We're looking for this hero. We're looking for this individual that can save us from what we inherently know we can't save ourselves from. And so when you look at the New Testament, this is exactly the world that Jesus came into. So journey with me. Quick historical background. Promise I won't bore you. And I won't bring up that I've been to Israel after that. <laughs> so it's 435 BC. Y'all with me? We're there? Whatever you imagine that to look like, that's what it looks like. The prophet Malachi has just completed writing what would conclude the Old Testament. Just finished it. Last book. From that time, God was silent in speaking to his people until the birth of Jesus around 4 BC. That's the equivalent of us living for God today, but not actually having heard from him since like 1600. Like 150 years before the United States had even been in existence. That's how long it had been, and they hadn't had a prophet. And after about 100 years of the end of that prophet's work, a young man by the name of Alexander the Great begins his conquest of the world. As part of his conquest, Alexander conquers the entire known world, which includes Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem, all the way down to Egypt, bringing God's people under captivity in their own land. He had this method, Alexander the Great, where when he went into a city and conquered it, he would do what's called a burn and scrape. He would burn the city, and then he would try to scrape it from existence so the people basically didn't have anything to fight for. 
Sounds like a great guy. This is what he's doing through the Middle East. But upon his death, Alexander the Great and his, his kingdom was split into four different areas. And of those four areas, Ptolemy, which is a name some of you probably recognize, would rule over the area that included Israel and Jerusalem. And his rule would just get worse, worse than Alexander the Great's. He would further depose God's people, and he would bring numerous wars and class, clashes into the land of Israel. And the rule of Ptolemy eventually gave way to the Roman Empire, and Israel was hopelessly burdened with powerful armies all around it, tired by 400 years of silence from God and war consistently at its doorstep. So there's your atmosphere, there's your setting, and in that atmosphere and environment, in a suburb of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Jesus was born. The people were taxed to the point where there was just almost no money for the middle class or the lower class. Family members were persecuted, killed, and crucified. You can throw that next slide up there if you have it. The Jewish people couldn't even attend church in the way that they wanted to. Everything they loved, everything they knew was just complete oppression. And this had happened for generation after generation after generation. And the Jewish people are saying, hey, we could really use a hero right now. We could really use somebody to come help us out with this comeback we're trying to mount. And a lot of comebacks were attempted. They would attempt to up, uprise against that government over and over again and continually be quashed down over and over. So when Jesus shows up on the scene and starts doing miraculous things and starts giving the, these hints that he's the Messiah, the disciples are all in. They're all in. It's like, yes, this is exactly what we need right now. So when Jesus starts coming onto the scene, they recognize him. And what they're thinking when you read most of the New Testament is this is our hero that's going to ride in here, that's going to save the day, and that's going to deliver us from 400 years of oppression. 400 years is a long time. It's a really long time. I mean, this is generation after generation. So they wanted their comeback to begin. They were just like, let's get this started. I mean, are we going to take like a city and then move out? Or like, how, how are we going to do this? They couldn't wait. They could not wait for Jesus to stop healing people and start throwing down. You can just, you can just see it. Has anybody ever wanted something like so bad they couldn't wait for it? <laughs> just couldn't sleep at night. Maybe like before a vacation. As I get older, it's less, happens less. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, but I do remember being 14 and all I ever wanted to do was just, I had a dirt bike, and I just wanted to ride my dirt bike. But I couldn't just ride it around my house, because it wasn't Missouri. There wasn't just land everywhere. We had to, like, take the dirt bike to a track or something. And so, if it was going to be on a Saturday, the Friday before, I would just be so pumped. I probably annoyed my dad to no, to no end. I'd be out there, like, washing the motorcycle just to get it dirty the next day. I'd start it five times. I'd make sure my gear was ready. I would hardly sleep. And then probably at some ungodly hour, I'd creep in there and wake him up. Dad, you ready to go? To his credit, he never made me feel like he didn't want to go. I don't think he did, looking back. But anyways, <laughs> that was just one day of me, like, anticipating something. And, like, like, I wanted it so bad. And when you, when you read the, the disciples' accounts, you recognize that they wanted the Messiah so bad to begin their comeback. They wanted to be free of the Romans and of the Greeks, and they wanted to be part of that army. They are pumped that Jesus is the Messiah. They are just so excited, and you can read it. And in fact, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 6, 
you know, we think of Acts as like, okay, the disciples are ready to go preach and spread the gospel. Like that's what they're supposed to be doing in Acts. Their, their mindset is still, still right here. This is what it says. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Like that's what they're talking about. Like we've got this kingdom we've got to get, got to get started on. Like are you going to do it at this time? Like they, they really up until the end believed that that's what Jesus was there to do. That's what that sounds like up here. <laughs> and you see it. You see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter pulls out his sword, and he's ready to fight right up until the bitter end because he's like, man, I, whenever this starts, I'm going to be part of it. I'm ready to be part, of this, uh, be part of this army. But you know what Jesus does? We know the story. Jesus wasn't there to establish an earthly kingdom at that time. He wasn't there to do that. And you know what he did? which in retrospect, the disciples started to understand. How did he teach the disciples to pray and teach us how we should pray? He said, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's because he was in a, a place with a group of people who were very concerned with their own, <laughs> their own kingdoms, right? their own agendas, their own hopes and expectations. And for us today, when we come into a church service like that and we're talking about Man, Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're with us in these services. We love you. I'm praying. And now about these things that I've got lined up over here in my kingdom that I could really use your help in restoring, you know, I could use a new job. I could use, this is like hypothetical. I actually like my job, but I'm just saying, like, I could use a new job. I could use help in this area. Like, I've got my kingdom that I've really been excited to show you all of these years. And Jesus is like, hey, why don't you pray about like this? Like, my kingdom come. Let let God's kingdom come. Let his will be done. And that wasn't necessarily what the disciples wanted to hear. They wanted to start their comeback, but they were focused on the right now of their situations. And sometimes when we talk about the comeback and we talk about Jesus coming into our lives and we talk about it, it's a big challenge for us to recognize that those things that we hope and we dream, they may not line up with what he has, but his way is so much better. His plan is so much better. It really is. And so when Jesus teaches them that, he's walking on the earth, and he didn't come to complete the kingdom of Israel at that time, but he came to bring a heavenly kingdom for us. Thousands of years later, and Jesus' first trip on earth did a remarkable thing. It didn't end the battle. The battle's not over. We're still fighting it. But it did switch momentum in our favor. So before Jesus walked on earth and died on the cross, Life was a beat down, ruled by sin. It was very difficult to be righteous before Jesus walked on the earth. In fact, there was a law, a Jewish law, with a lot of different pieces and parts that you had to follow if you were going to be considered righteous. And it wasn't even for all of us in here who would be considered Gentiles. We didn't even get a chance. It was just for this certain group, and they had to follow a certain path. And there was no hope for humanity as a whole. I guess you could say it like this. If it was a game, and it was sin versus humanity... It was not even close. It was like 99 to 0 at halftime. Sin was winning. Death was reigning. And there was really no hope for humanity until Jesus came to earth. And if you look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, it tells us what the first coming of Jesus did. It said, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm thankful for that. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die Yet peradventure for a good man would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. I am thankful for that verse. For of when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. When Jesus died on that cross, the game didn't end, but man, it sure changed for humanity. Because now, all of a sudden, people like you and me could walk boldly, like that song was talking about. We could walk boldly into the, into the throne room. We could be baptized in the name of Jesus and be in the same covenant that Abraham had. And we could receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And on those bad days, we would have a help and we would have a strength that was greater. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I'll tell you something. The opposition did not expect that. Didn't see it coming. Didn't see it coming. Probably would have been okay with that whole earthly kingdom to have happened as opposed to this. Because what happened was the momentum for humanity changed in that point. A relationship with Jesus is now a game changer. Because before, what we couldn't do through the law, we can do. And so if we're here tonight and we're just like, it's church, it's a Wednesday, I don't know. You know what the significance of this is? We get to come before the throne room of God. And it doesn't actually matter what's in our lives. It doesn't actually matter what's opposing us in the spiritual realm. One interaction with Jesus and everything can change. Our trajectory can change forever on a night like this. And I am thankful for that opportunity tonight. Jesus changed the momentum when he died on the cross. And momentum is a powerful and difficult phenomenon to understand. We've all been part of it. I got to give you one like psychological excerpt or did I even try, right? So I'm going to read this. In sports... Psychological momentum has been defined as a bi-directional concept affecting either the probability of winning or the probability of losing as a function of the outcome of the preceding event. The concept of momentum appear appears ingrained in sporting culture and research evidence clearly shows that athletes' perceptions of momentum do exist and shift in response to gaining or losing ground in competition. Momentum sequences can be very brief or can roll from one match to the next. There is evidence to suggest that changing perceptions of momentum are linked to changes in athletes' thoughts and feelings which influence perform, performance. Basically, momentum matters. The direction you're heading actually affects the outcome, right? So I'm going to give you an example. Can you throw that next slide up there? November 18th, 2017. I tried to use a team that was like not in the hearts of anybody here. So if there's any OSU fans, I'm going to apologize. Are you serious? <laughs> I know Oklahoma. I know the Sooners. So I was like, OSU, maybe I might be okay. <laughs> Momentum is a powerful thing in competition. It is powerful. It changes the belief. It changes the game from one moment to the next. It's the belief that because of what just happened, the outcome might have just changed in the minds of the people who are playing or competing in the event. I'm going to use sports because I understand sports, but they say momentum. It's the same thing, whether it be a battle or a race or any of the other things that the Bible does describe our walk with God as. The Bible does talk about running a race and finishing it and the challenges that come with it. It does talk about the battle that is and, and winning that battle. I'm going to use football. Um, so 
November 18, 2017, Oklahoma State was the number 14 ranked team in the nation, and they took on lowly Kansas State in Oklahoma. This, this was a game that Oklahoma was supposed to win handily. Just, it wasn't even supposed to be close. Their fans were there. They were wearing the awesome orange and black uniforms. There was like nothing standing in their way. They have a future NFL quarterback, and they're playing against Kansas State. God bless them, but it's Kansas State. As the game unfolded, Kansas State shocked the sports world and jumped out to a 42-13 to lead early in the game. 42-13, to and they carried that into the second half, late into the third quarter, and you could say momentum was all on the side of Kansas State at this point. If you were to look at pictures and images from the game, the crowd is silent. The body language of Oklahoma State is just completely slumped over. They don't feel like they have any chance to win, and they feel just completely hopeless. And then, as momentum is known to do, <laughs> it decided to switch sides for one reason or another. And Oklahoma started to build some confidence that, hey, maybe we can stay in this game for a little bit. And with their all-star lineup, with their future NFL quarterback, Oklahoma State mounts what is just looking like an insurmountable comeback and crazy things start to happen. Because you know when, it's just kind of a weird thing. When, when good things start to happen, sometimes it just rolls. And then the opposite is true when bad things happen. Sometimes it just feels like they just keep coming. And so over the next few minutes, Oklahoma State would ride a historical scoring wave and score four touchdowns to pull within five points with just a few minutes left in the game. Now the opposite is true of momentum. Kansas State feels like they've already lost the game, even though on the scoreboard they're winning 45 to 40. They feel like they've lost the game. Shoulders are slumped. The sideline people are fighting with each other. And this Oklahoma State crowd is just losing, just losing their mind. College fans are crazy. The, it's just a terrible atmosphere for Kansas State to be in. It's loud. There's belief on the side of the Oklahoma State football team. And they get the ball back at the 50-yard line. They just need to go 50 yards. If they score a touchdown, they win. They had just scored four touchdowns in a row. This thing looked like it was about to be historical. And here's what happens. Future NFL quarterback gets the ball, and for the next four plays, he misses wide open wide receivers. Just drops back, throws it, incomplete. That's all right, crowd's still crazy. Drops back, throws it, incomplete. Now we're a little bit nervous. Third down, incomplete. Fourth down, he misses by a mile. And just like that, all the momentum in the world on the side of Oklahoma State, everything looked like this was going to be a historical comeback for ESPN. It was just, it was all there. Everything was in place. And it just ended, just, just like that. Game was over. Kansas State got the ball. They didn't even think they were going to win. They interviewed the players afterwards. And the Kansas State, they, they, they just thought they had already lost the game. They were shocked that they were able to hold to hold on and to beat this team. And Oklahoma, they couldn't believe it. It's like, how did, how did we lose when everything was good? We had the momentum. We had everything going our way. And they just could not execute down the stretch. What a shame for a team and a fan base to have all that momentum but not execute the comeback. So you're not going to find this on ESPN, and you, you have to dig to read about the game because it just, it just wasn't significant anymore after the comeback fell short. 
And so tonight, I do believe that we're on the winning side. I'm going to switch that back to us. I believe that we're on the winning side. I believe that Jesus has changed the direction of our lives. He's a momentum shifter, and he's still doing it. Tonight, if you feel, man, I could use some momentum changing in my life, you're in the right spot. Because one interaction with Jesus, and I can't explain it, but your life can switch. And you can start heading in a direction that you never could have imagined when you walked in. But at the same time, as nice as it is here to be, nice, as nice as it is to be here with all of you, this is not heaven. <laughs> it's liberty. It's not heaven. And none of us are saved. None of us are lost. The game is still going on, and the outcome is still very much in our hands. So as the musicians come up here and we wrap this thing up, I'd like to turn back to John chapter 14, verse 3. That says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus, when he came and what he's here to do tonight, he, he's, a, he's a life changer. He can forgive every sin you've ever committed. He can restore a ministry that you thought was dead. He can take a life that you feel like you have done nothing but lose over and over and over and over again, and he can turn that into a life of victory. He's a momentum shifter. He's a game changer. However, that game is still going on. The battle is still raging, and it's not over for any of us. That's good and bad. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, if you can pull those up there. It's good because we can recognize that, you know what, if I feel like I'm just not where I want to be, hey, you maybe you didn't play great for three quarters of your life. Maybe it didn't go the way that you had planned. Maybe it feels like the odds are stacked against you, the crowd screaming against you, and you're just like, uh, I don't see how this is going to turn out well. Hey, tonight you can turn, and your, your life can be part of the winning side. But hey, maybe it's us tonight, and maybe we've been part of this for a long time. We've, we've walked with Jesus, and we've, we've poured out of ourselves, and we've tried to live a life that's holy. And maybe at times it can be discouraging, and it can be tough, and you can, we can lose sight of the fact that this is not over yet, but we are in the last days right now. Jesus is going to make the final comeback very soon. And when he does, I don't want to be fading out. Man, I want to be on fire for God. I want to be better than I've ever been. I don't want to just stroll through. I want to go through the rapture and into the pearly gates as on fire as I can possibly be. The Bible tells us what's going to happen on that great day when the final comeback is complete. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air together to meet him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, encourage one another with these words. I love all of you guys, but we're not just here to hang out. We're not just here to have a good time. We're here to make sure that when that trumpet sounds, we are all going up together. And if you're here tonight, we're all on the same playing field. We all have the same opportunity. We all have the same chance. Nothing's been decided. So as we stand and we take 
a few minutes before we head out, grab the kids and grab some food. Can we just come up here and find a place to pray in recognition that, man, I want to finish this thing strong. God, I don't want to fade into the end of this game, but I want to finish strong. I want to be close to you. I want to live like I've never lived for you. Or if you're here tonight and you don't feel like you're ready for the return, for the comeback, hey, there's an altar of repentance. Let's just find a place to pray before we head out. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah.